All right, today's scripture uh, comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 29. We'll be reading in the ESV, and so we encourage you to find a pew Bible, uh, or to, uh, if you have your own Bible or Bible app, um, we are going to uh, do an alternate reading, which means I'll read the first verse, we'll all respond with the verse uh, after that, and keep going back and forth on, until the end. And so again, uh, it's Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 29. Uh, and once you are ready to read the scripture, if you could please stand as able for the reading of God's word. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word today. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right, friends, like we uh, mentioned, we are um, wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, today's message is called Build My Life. Uh, I wanted to kind of remind us of what we were talking about last week, because... Um, it, it, what we are reading today is connected to that passage. And so last week we, we were asking these essential questions of how to uh, live well in this world. Uh, these questions that, that Dallas Willard um, had, had posed that all people, all human beings, Christian or, or not, uh, need to answer these question, questions for themselves if they want to live well. And so uh, one of the questions we posed last week was, what is the good life? And that that's a question that a lot of us are, um, you know, we're, we're trying to have a good life, uh, but maybe we don't always ask ourselves what the good life is. It's just assumed. It's assumed that it's, you know, laying on a hammock in a white sandy beach and not having any worries or concerns in this world. And the second question that Dallas Willard asked, or, or a, a, another question, follow-up question, is what is a good person? How do you become a good person? And that we don't always equate the two as the same thing. And so the case we were trying to make last week, uh, for those of you who weren't here, um, all our sermons can be found online um, at livinggraceministry.org. That's my little pitch. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the, the case we were trying to make last week was that uh, the good life and being a good person, that those are actually supposed to be the same thing. That being a good person... Um, that, that really learning how to become a good person, that's the good life. And so, brothers and sisters, uh, we're going to be talking about stuff today that um, I, I realize in some ways we have a habit of hearing it. Um, even saying, what is a good person? 
There might be some of us who bristle against this because, you know, you have heard many sermons, probably many of you have heard sermons about how the gospel is not about um, uh, behavior modification, um, which I agree with uh, in many cases, um, that it's not just about behavior modification. And what people mean by that is that it's not just about following laws, right? Like you can't uh, become the kind of person that Jesus wants um, that we, we don't gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven just by following a list of rules. Um, that's what people mean by, uh, you know, the gospel is not about behavior modification. Because, by the way, it doesn't work. That, that, that's kind of what the Israelites lived, right? They had a whole series of laws that they were supposed to follow, um, and they weren't able to do it perfectly. And so Jesus came, and Jesus intervened in a way that we could not do on our own, right? But I do want to say this. The the idea that um, the gospel is not about behavior modification makes it sound like that the Christian life is not about behavior modification. And, And, I mean, to be honest, if you read your Bible... There's a lot of behavior modification in there, right? There's a lot of things that tell us how we should be living, you know? And so the idea that, um, I think, you know, unfortunately, uh, I don't think this is what people mean, but I think what people hear oftentimes is that it doesn't matter how you live your life as a Christian. All you got to do is believe in Jesus. Or what sometimes people say is that if you believe in the gospel, um, you automatically will become like Jesus, and so then, you know, people would say, again, gospel is not about behavior modification because believing in the gospel is the key part. And then the fruit of that will be, you will become like Christ. Unfortunately, brothers and sisters, unfortunately, because I think that's a great story. Unfortunately, I don't see evidence of that in our world. I don't see evidence that just by believing intellectually that Jesus died for your sins, that automatically you're a good person. And I think we see a lot of evidence to the contrary in our churches, right? That just believing in Jesus intellectually, um, you know, saying a magic prayer one time in your life, that does not make you a good person, right? Does that make sense? I, I hope I'm not saying anything too controversial at this point. I made this point before, so I, I hope it's not like, like, whoa, this is brand new information. Um, but I will say that I'm also on board with that you cannot become the kind of person that God wants you to just by following rules. I, I'm also on board with that. Um, but I want to approach this from a little different way because the scripture that we're reading today, we are going to talk about the will of God. We're going to talk about following what Jesus tells us to do, right? To actually practice Jesus's words. And there's a way that you can hear a message like this. And all you're going to hear is, I need to follow the will of God by willpower. I need to uh, follow Jesus's commands and, and I need to do that perfectly, or I need to do that, you know, um, just by trying really hard. And so I want to try to approach this because I think that approach is incredibly frustrating. I want to approach this from slightly a different way. And so the question I want to ask you this morning uh, is, what story are you living? What is the story of your life? <laughs> if you had to, um, you know, talk about your life uh, as a genre, <laughs> you know, is your life, is it a comedy? 
Maybe for some of you, it feels that way. Is it a tragedy? That'd be kind of sad. Um, you know, like, like, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if this is true anymore. I don't watch a lot of, uh, uh, like, Asian cinema that much, but I used to watch lots of Korean movies. And it seems to me that every Korean movie, even the comedies, are tragedies. I don't know why. <laughs> like, the romantic comedy still is sad, right? So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you feel like it's like that, you know? Your, your life is actually a tragedy. Maybe, and this is what I would want for me, maybe you think your life, your story, is a superhero story. Uh, and, and you're, happen to just be, uh, you're, you're still on the origin story. <laughs> you're still, you know, telling the origin of this superhero. Um, I think that'd be kind of cool to be a superhero. Um, what is the story that you are living? Do you know that you're living a story? And, and, I, you know, maybe, um, another way to get at this or, or a different question is, whose story are you living? In other words, who is the main character of your story? Now, brothers and sisters, in the West, we make an assumption. And the assumption that we make is the main character is, of course, me. I'm the main character of the story. By the way, that's not true in every society and every culture. In many cultures, they live in a collectivist society. They're not the main character. They realize that the greater uh, culture, the greater society, the greater community, that that's the story they're living. And so everybody kind of feels like, you know what, I have a part to play in this. You know, but in America, in 2019, for many of us, we are very much living in an individualist society. And so this, this, this story that we are trying to live, what we are talking about today is following the will of God. But we have to address the underlying question of the story that you're living. And to be honest, who is the main character of this story? Um, we recently got new ESV Bibles, which was awesome. Uh, we, we had an anonymous donor very generously give those. Before that, we used to have these Bibles. There might be a few of them still uh, hanging out in your rows. I think we put most of them away. Uh, we're actually giving these out. So if you, if you want to take one, they're NIVs. But on the cover, does anyone remember what was on the cover? Does anyone remember what it said? The story of God. Yeah. The story of God. Now, uh, a, a few years ago, uh, there was a, a person in LGM. Uh, who used to, who grew up in LGM, but moved away, moved to a different city, went to a different church. And so in high school, uh, at the church he was going to, um, they were uh, challenging the high school students. This is kind of crazy, kind of intense, but kind of cool too. They were challenging the high school students uh, to try to read the Bible in 90 days, right? Pretty cool, right? And so he decided to take on the challenge. He was one of, of several students that were doing this. And so he was like, Pastor Steve, would you mind if I called you from time to time to just kind of pick your brain and ask you questions about the Bible? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so he would call me like every couple of weeks to be like, oh, you know, I just got through Genesis. You know, oh man, I just got through, you know, all the laws and all of the hundreds of, oh my gosh, that was so hard. And, you know, so he got about a third of the way through, 30 days, right? And he called me and I will never forget what he said. It was so interesting. This is what he said. He was like, you know, Pastor Steve, after reading through a third of the Bible, I came to this realization that this 
whole book, the Bible, it's about God. You guys are laughing, right? But, but I, I, I laughed too. And I was like, yeah, good point, man. It really is. But he was like, oh my gosh, this is about God. The reason why he said that is because I think for a lot of us, when we read the Bible, there is an underlying assumption that we make that we actually think the Bible is about us. We think we're the main character of the story. And it changes the way you read the Bible, if that's the way you read it. So uh, I've been, uh, I, I just recently read this book, uh, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. It's one of the best books I've read in a long time. And actually, uh, last week, Michael White, uh, our, uh, he's our staff parish relations committee chair. He's talking about one of the goals that they gave or one of the things that they wanted uh, me to, to uh, sort of spearhead was to do a voluntary Bible study. And I, I think it's kind of funny that they said voluntary Bible study. I was like, I've never been to an involuntary Bible study. What, what is that? You must read. And study. I don't know. But anyways, uh, this is actually my suggestion. I would like to read this book together. Uh, with people. And so in, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about this if you want to read this. But it's very interesting. And one of the things that they address in this book is um, kind of the main point of the book is there are many ways that we read. Everybody reads the Bible with a cultural lens, right? There are things that we come into scripture and, and there are ways that you read it that go without saying. You don't even know you're doing it, but you just automatically do it because of your cultural uh, uh, sort of framework, where you're coming from, and the way that you grew up, all the messages you've heard. And so, brothers and sisters, could it be that in this Western individualistic society that you have heard your whole life that the story of, of life, it's all about you? And so when you read the story of God, it even says it on the cover in some cases, right? You read it and you read it as if everything is about you. I'll give you an example. Jeremiah 29, 11. There's a lot of people, they have these on bookmarks. You know, a lot of people love this verse, right? In the NIV, it goes, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and future. And a lot of people read that as if, oh my gosh, God wants me to become a doctor, right? Like God wants me to be rich and healthy, right? Um, and so, you know, the way you read that, for I know the plans I have for you. And when you hear the you, you assume that God is talking about you, right? Because after all, the story is about me. But he's actually not talking about you. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to Israel. And Israel is in, a, in captivity at this time. They're in Babylon, right? And if you actually keep reading, what, what he means is that after 70 years, he's going to return the people of Israel back into the promised land, back to Israel. But it's going to take 70 years because they're captives right now. They're not where they want to be. And they're suffering. And they're asking God, how long? And so his promise is, I'm going to prosper you and not to harm you. So after 70 years, you get to go back. Now, that's really weird if you hear this from an individualistic viewpoint, right? Because as an individual, for many of the people reading it, they're not going to get to see 
the fulfillment of that promise. After 70 years, of course, you know, lifespans were probably much lower back then. Almost no one who was reading that would benefit from that promise. Right? Ooh, it's a different way of reading scripture. Now, let me give you another example. Um, uh, so this is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Many people read this as, uh, don't eat junk food, right? They're like, don't eat pizza and make sure you exercise regularly. That's not what this is talking about. Um, at the youth retreat, uh, the, the, the theme was bodybuilding, right? We were talking about building the body of Christ. It was not talking about building individual bodies. And one of the things that Pastor Mike pointed out is that many times in the letters especially, uh, so, so Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth. And because it is read out loud, almost in every case when you see the word you, it is not a singular you. This is one of the problems with the English language. Is when you say you, it could mean you right there, or it could mean you as in all of you, right? And so Pastor Mike was saying that, that he pastors in, in Texas, that in Texas they have a way of getting around this, right? And so they say y'all, right? Uh, or I, I heard, I don't know if this is going to be offensive to some people, but I heard in the East Coast they say use guys. Is that, is that a thing? I don't know. Use guys, right? Uh, but, but you know, it, at least here in Michigan, I usually just say you guys. But then it's like, are we only talking to guys and not to girls? It's very confusing, right? English language is horrible. <laughs> so many limitations. Every language has limitations. But in this case, do you not know that your body, the funny thing is that your body, the your there, is plural. He's not talking about individual bodies. The whole context of this verse, uh, it, it, uh, in the context of Corinthians, is he's talking about the ways that the Corinthian church have become very lax about sin, and it is affecting their entire body. You will find later, just six chapters later, which seems like a lot for us, but you have to remember, this was thought of as one letter, and they would have read this in one sitting. Here you have the greatest um, explanation of what the body of Christ is, right? And he says that you are parts of the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. All of us are members of the body of Christ. We are all parts of one body. So could it be that when he's talking about this, the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just mean your individual body. He means the collective body, right? The church of God. Brothers and sisters, all of this, I think, is very important because as we get through uh, and we look at this, um, I think you will start to see that one of the ways that we misunderstand the will of God is that we are reading the will of God as it must serve my story, not God's story. Now, it should be very clear. If it's the will of God, it's not the will of Steve, right? It's not the will of grace, right? It's not the will of us as individuals. It's God's will. But I want to show you, many of us, we do not read it this way. Okay, so let's take a look at at, uh, just diving in 
to this last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There we get it, right? So going to heaven or entrance into the kingdom of heaven, which may be slightly different, um, but the entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not about just calling on the name of the Lord. It is about doing the will of the Father, right? And, and he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Someone told me last week that they're very excited about us reading this scripture because they had a lot of questions. They're like, oh my gosh, this is so confusing. What does this mean? I don't get it. Shouldn't it be that these people who are doing things in the name of Jesus, that they would be first in line to go to the kingdom of heaven? Why is it that Jesus says to them, I never knew you? Whoa, this is weird, right? Didn't we just talk about fruit? We just talked about your life should be bearing fruit. And here we seem to see people who are doing good things. And they're doing it in Jesus' name. But there's a huge clue. And it comes in the rebuke that Jesus says. Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The word lawlessness, it, it, it conjures up like the Wild West, you know? You think of like a lawbreaker, a lawless man, right? But what lawlessness means is literally you have no law. You have no, you do not follow what Jesus says. You do not follow what God says. You just look at the law and you're like, eh, I don't need to follow that, right? So these are people who are doing what they think is good. They're doing good things in the eyes of the world. I mean, look look at this stuff. They're casting out demons. They're prophesying. They're doing mighty works in Jesus' name. They're doing it in Jesus' name. But the word mighty, I think, is also a clue of maybe why they're doing it. They decide for themselves, I think this is good, and so they do it. But Jesus' rebuke is, you are not following what I'm telling you to do. You are doing whatever you want to do. That's the problem, right? So uh, I want to show you, uh, this is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. Um, and it might give you a different insight into this passage. This is uh, what, what is called the message, right? We call it the message Bible, but the message is not a translation. It's a paraphrase, but it's meant to be uh, done sort of for our cultural context. So let's take a look at Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. He says, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment. Thousands strutting up to me and saying, master, we preach the message. We bash the demons. I think it's so funny that he put the message because... That, that's what they call his, uh, his, his, uh, uh, paraphrase of the Bible, the message. <laughs> so I think that was kind of like a tongue in cheek kind of, you know, point, uh, pointing a finger back at himself. Master, we preach the message. We bash the demons. Our God sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. 
You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. <laughs> so again, paraphrase, right? That's not a literal translation. But look at what the, the way that Eugene Peterson is looking at this passage. You missed the boat. Why were you doing all of these things? All you did was use me to make yourselves important. In other words, you might be doing things in Jesus' name. They might look like spiritual things. But you are building, not God's story, but you're building your story. It's all about you, right? You're the subject of the story. And so Jesus goes on, just so you know, I'm not just uh, making this kind of stuff up, right? Um, in another passage, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 18. We'll actually get back to what Jesus says later. Um, but for a lot of people, many people want to know, what is the will of God? It's one of the most common questions that people ask. But what people always ask is this. And brothers and sisters, I've done this too, so please don't you know, think that I'm like really getting on your case. Remember, we're all living in this Western individualistic society. What most people ask is, what is God's will for me? That's the question, right? We're all asking that question. What is the assumption there? God's will for me is different than God's will for you. Right? And then we approach it as this very mysterious thing. What is God's will for me? Does God want me to be a doctor? Does God want me to be a lawyer? Does God want me to be a business person? Does God want me to be a computer engineer? Who does God want me to marry? Where does God want me to live? Right? What kind of car does God want? So, right? Like we want the specifics. And the, the implication is, what is God's will for me? As if it is different than God's will for you. Right? And there are actually very clear passages. In this passage, it literally says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Right? So if you want to know what God... And, and of course, the you is plural. Right? It's not just for you. It's for all of us. What is God's will for you? It, 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 Paul literally says what it is. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, plural, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Brothers and sisters, what is God's will for you then? What, what does this whole passage have to do with? It's all about how you are treating other people. This is part of the reason why we can't hear these kinds of passages. Because when you make the story all about you, and God says, actually, my will for you is to love your neighbor as if they were you. We're like, no, no, no. Okay, that's the general will, right? But what is your specific will for me? I'm talking about jobs. I'm talking about location, right? I'm talking about the fun stuff, the real will for me. But could it be 
that that question in and of itself kind of betrays who we think is at the heart of this story. Do we really want to know God's will? Or do we just want to be justified in following our will? Ooh, is that that too harsh? (laughs) Is that too real? Hmm. Preach. Okay, amen. I'll preach. (laughs) Right? And so all the things in 1 Thessalonians, right? A lot of this is about becoming Christ-like in your character and, of course, in your behaviors, but how you treat and uphold other people, right? Always seek to good, to do good to one another and to everyone. Right? Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. That's God's will. That's God's will, guys. Yeah? Amen? So let's go back to Matthew now. So then Jesus doubles down on this talk. And he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Right? So I've been asking, what kind of story have you been living? And so we can ask that question. What are you building your life upon? What are you building the the, the story of your life upon? What is the basis of that? And Jesus is saying, if you build the basis of your life based on actually trying to do what Jesus has been telling you. And, And brothers and sisters, what a lot of people do is they take this passage and they say, see, you have to obey the whole Bible. That sounds daunting and impossible. Right? Bible's long, right? I'm not telling you to just disobey whatever you want, but specifically, what is Jesus talking about here? He just preached an entire sermon, right? It's called the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going over it the entire semester, right? Because it's kind of important. And this is the end of it. What are these words? It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' central teaching about how to live and love like him, right? We've been talking about all this stuff, about how you um, can live this blessed life, of of how we need to curb our anger and and our normal appetites, and how we, we must not judge people, right? And we must learn to turn the other cheek. And we must learn to completely trust in the provision of God. So we're not just grasping and trying to force people to to do what we want them to do according to our will. And Jesus is saying, yeah, all that stuff, go do it. Go live it. Go figure out how you can implement this into your life. And if you do, then your foundation will be secure. Now, I asked that question from last week. What is the good life? And for many of us, we make an assumption of the good life that maybe the good life is one where you're not going to suffer. Brothers and sisters, I want to point out something in this passage that maybe we just kind of gloss over. Have you noticed the wise man and the foolish man? Have you noticed they go through the same trial? Did you notice that? Exactly the same thing happens to them. So the implication is just because you are following Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. That's just human life. That's what life is about. You will go through suffering, right? And so it's almost the exact same language. The difference is, what are you basing your life on? That's the only difference in this passage. 
The trial, the circumstance is exactly the same, isn't it? It says, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. I didn't put the Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrase of this, but it's, it's kind of funny. Because he says, everyone who hears these, uh, everyone who uh, does Bible study, <laughs> who studies these words and doesn't actually do them. Um, which, I, I, again, I think Eugene Peterson's being a little cute there, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, he's making another assumption. He's assuming that there are people who have heard this word. Just hearing it isn't enough. Just hearing it in a sermon, just reading it, just studying it, it's not enough. To build a firm foundation, you actually have to start living it and implementing it into your life. And if you do that, then again, right, same thing happens. The rain fell and the floods came. Guys, look, it's exactly the same. 25, 27. The rain fell and the rain fell. And the floods came and the floods came. And the winds blew and the winds blew. And beat on that house and beat against that house. The one difference is that if you build your foundation on actually following the teachings of Jesus, your house will not fall. Amen? Why does the house that you build, based on, well, I mean, brothers and sisters, let's also read into this a little bit. Why do the people hear God's words and decide not to do them? Who does that? Of course, Jesus is making a value judgment. He calls them foolish, right? Because your house is going to blow down. But why do people do that? People do that all the time. Could it be, going back to before, because we've decided for ourselves, you know what? The best way to live is for me to follow myself. That's the implication, isn't it? Right? If you're not following the words of Jesus, if you're not following the teachings of Jesus, then who are you following? You're following yourself. You're following whatever you think is best. How did we start all of this? We started all of this with saying that not everyone is going to get into the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is the place where God's will is accomplished. That's the kingdom of God, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So in other words, the kingdom of God is the place where God is in control, where God is truly God, where God is truly king. It is his kingdom. So it just makes sense. If you decide for yourself, you know what? I don't want God to be king. I'm not going to follow his commands. That's, that's what you're saying. Right? It's not saying like, well, I don't want to live in paradise. You're saying, I don't want God to rule. Does that make sense? Right? I want to be the one to be king. I want to be God of my life. I I want to decide what, what happens in my life. So why is that an insecure life? Because we don't make very good gods. <laughs> and we don't always know as much as we think we do. This is what Jesus is saying. You are building your life as a house of cards. You are building it on sand because you are the one who is in control of everything. And so if you're in control of everything, then you're also in control of the results. 
Does that make sense? Yeah? So you have decided, this is the best way to live. <laughs> but now you've got to live with the consequences. Right? And so whether you succeed, whether you fail, it all depends on you. There are many people who live their life this way. They live as if there is no God. Right? A lot of people, they want God to kind of swoop in as a cosmic helper. God, just make the circumstances of my life ideal. Jesus is very clear. Wise man, foolish man, they both go through the storm. Right? Jesus says this in different places. He says, rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Right? We would like to believe in a version of, of life where God is just a genie who's just making everything sunshine and clouds and rainbows, and that's God's job. By the way, brothers and sisters, in that scenario, I mean, I use the word genie on purpose. You can see Aladdin. What does the genie come out? What is the first thing he says when the genie comes out? What does he call Aladdin? Master. We don't want a God. We want a slave. We don't want a God. We want a genie, right? We, we believe that we are <laughs> the main characters of this story. But to follow the will of God says, God, I want your will to be, do- to be done. So I desire to build my life on the foundation of learning what your will is and really implementing it in this world. It's about building a better story. Right? If you are living your story, well, you're going to live your story. You're going to get your results. Right? And that, Jesus says, is a very unstable story. One where you may make lots and lots of bad decisions, and you made them. You decided to do that. Right? But if we decide to build our foundation on the will of God, right, then we get the story of God. Brothers and sisters, um, so when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What does that mean, one who had authority? It doesn't mean that Jesus came and he preached with an impressive voice. That's the way we think of authority, right? Somebody who comes in and just like, like I, I don't know, Jesus you had like a deep voice, you know, listen to me. And everyone's like, oh, authority. Right? Because don't you think the Pharisees tried that? Don't you think the teachers of the law, they were very impressive. They had like good robes and stuff, right? They looked the part. The reason why Jesus had authority is because he actually walked the walk. That's why he had authority. Because what he was saying was not foreign to his life. What he was saying was actually being lived out in him. He wasn't saying, and and you know, this is something that Jesus talked a lot about. He said the problem with your teachers is they are hypocrites. They are actors. They are not actually living out what they are telling you to do. Right? And that's why Jesus is different. Jesus was kind. Jesus was patient. Jesus made his life about other people. And brothers and sisters, in an ultimate sense, what is all of this about? It is about a life of love. God is desiring to bring us into a life of love. That's God's will. To love your neighbor as if they were you. 
And Jesus said lots and lots of impressive things about loving other people. But this is why Jesus has authority. This is why we follow Jesus. This is why we worship Jesus. Because Jesus actually did it. He went to the cross. Yeah? He died for us. He actually gave his life for sinful humanity. And then he says, come and follow me. Remember what Jesus says. What is his command? To love others as I have loved you. What a lot of us do in modern Christianity, when we make the story all about ourselves, and we don't really want a God, we want a genie, we say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Mm, This is so good. Thank you that I get to go to heaven. And thank you that I don't need to die. Yay! (laughs) So I get to just live my story however I want. right? And we miss out on what Jesus is saying. Oh no, (laughs) I died for you, but make no mistake. What this is about is you learn to love like me. This story is about joining you to the story of God. Right? And the story of God is about selfless, sacrificial love. It is in God's very nature. He wants you to make, He wants to make you like Him so that you can love like Him. So that we can make this world with God's help, obviously. Right? I mean, God is doing the heavy lifting here, guys. Make no mistake. But we are partnering with God to make this world reflect His will. And what is His will? That sinners know the love of God. That sinful people who don't deserve it are loved. Right? Just like us. He says, go and do likewise. And if you build your foundation upon love, what do you get then, brothers and sisters? You get love. It's love all the way through. That's what the story is about. But you can't say to God, God, I want your love, but I'm not going to give love. It doesn't work that way, right? It's an unsure foundation because basically you are saying, God, I get to decide what is good and bad. And basically, I'm going to do the things that serve my story. That's the problem with the people who say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus was, is like, you are lawless people. You are people who have decided that you're just going to follow whatever you want to follow. Instead of building your life on my love. Don't misunderstand that. It's not just receiving the love. It must be about living out the love. Uh, so when we talk about building our lives, um, you know, a lot of times we use the language of stones. And so, you know, uh, I, I used to, uh, a few years ago, we, we did this thing where we gave out everyone little stones, right? Because what we were trying to say is that you are a living stone. And um, that our life is about building the kingdom. This is how we live a meaningful life. This is how we live the best life. Learning how to live our life as a stone that builds the kingdom of heaven. But brothers and sisters, there's great humility in this. Is to say that this is my life. It's one stone. I would like to say, I'm the whole thing. I'm the whole building, right? That's the kind of story that appeals to, you know, modern egos, right? But the truth is, is that I'm this one little itty-bitty stone. But the cool thing is, is that all of us 
you know, as we build our lives upon the foundation of Christ, and Christ is what? The cornerstone, right? He is the ultimate foundation. He is the one that provides us a stable foundation to build this kind of kingdom. And as we continue to build, we start to see more and more the structure, right? We start to see more and more. I mean, brothers and sisters, what are we building? We're not just piling stones. It's hard to see it from here because all you see is just a bunch of stones piled together. But eventually, you will see a wall, <laughs> And then, the more that this gets built, what what are you going to see? Not just a wall. You're going to see the side of a castle. Right? You're going to see a parapet. Right? You're going to see a drawbridge. Right? You're going to see this, this magnificent kingdom that God is building. And many of us, we say, well, I'm just a stone. And God says, by yourself, yeah, your story doesn't really mean much. But it means so much when you get caught up, entangled, when you become a part of the greater story of God. Amen? So one of the things that, that I, I did uh, a couple years ago, and I think we have enough stones. I have more in the office, if this isn't enough. <laughs> you guys just want to take a stone. I used to keep a stone in my pocket. And the reason why I did that was that throughout the day, I mean, it's, it's very humbling, right? You just carry this rock in here like, this is my life. I'm one stone that is helping build the kingdom of heaven. But also to think about your actions, the actions that you make each and every day, to obey, to disobey, right? to, to, um, to pray, to not to pray, <laughs> to trust, not to trust, right? that maybe each and every one of our actions can be a way of helping build this kingdom stone by stone, brick by brick. And so, you know, <laughs> I, I used to joke around that, that my wife would find like little rocks in the washing machine <laughs> and stuff like that. And, you know, I, if you want to just care, you know, keep it in your car somewhere, hopefully not somewhere where it becomes a flying projectile in your car. But, <laughs> but brothers and sisters, just as a reminder, this is what we are called to be. Praise team, can we come up? So I think the stones are still going around. Um, don't be too big, picky, because then, you know, we'll run out of time. So <laughs> you guys just can take a stone and just keep it going. Um, but as you look at the stone, or as you think about, you know, what is my life? I know for many of us, we're trying to live this great story, right? And brothers and sisters, that is the good news. You are part of the greatest story ever told. The building of the kingdom of God. And so, brothers and sisters, um, you know, maybe just as we pray, uh, as we sing this song, um, you know, it, it is an invitation. That's one of the great things about Jesus. Jesus is a gentleman. He knocks, right, before he comes in. He doesn't force himself in. And he's knocking. He's inviting. Do you want to come and be a part of the story? Maybe you've been living your own story. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get mine. Am I going to get my pleasure? You know, and brothers and sisters, you know, we all started. We started with the Sermon on the Mount by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Happy, content. It is a blessed life. It is a great life. But it is a life that must be built upon the foundation of Christ, not us. 
So I'd like to pray for all of us. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for this call, this reminder that we are being invited to the greatest story ever told, the building of your kingdom. You have shown us sacrificial love. May we learn to give that and to live that every day. God, it's not always going to be a, a clean and unmessy process. It's going to be very messy. There's going to be a lot of mistakes. We thank you, God, for your grace that is there, that catches us when we fall. But may this be a committed life, one that we say, yes, I will live for your kingdom. I will live for something greater than myself. I will build the foundation of my life on this great story, on you, the great God, who offered your very son for me while I was yet a sinner. God, I want to live that kind of love. I want to just be, be consumed in that kind of love so much that I live that kind of love out in this world that needs to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.